0: Well, it was a real joy to be able to spend the last couple of weeks back up in Wisconsin, uh, where we spent the last 11 and a half years. The joy was to be able to move back to Georgia. Uh, It was five degrees when I left Wisconsin uh, last Monday. And uh, I told David I'm glad he started a church in Georgia and not uh, Alaska. If he'd started one in Alaska, I would tell him I would pray for him. (laughs) But but it's joy to be able to be a a part here of this ministry. The last couple of weeks, I had the privilege of uh, sharing uh, three times in different services. And the emphasis has changed in the last um, few months. I was asked to share last Sunday morning, what I've learned about God during the sickness and loss of a loved one. So I shared that during the Sunday school time. That particular church has lost six people through deaths in the last month. The church that I was ministering in, just 30 minutes north of there, they've had 14 people die in the last couple of months. This is very unusual. But life is uncertain, isn't it? And with the COVID and and everything else that's going on, I wonder if God isn't beginning to try to open up conversations about eternity. What do you think? Open up conversations about, so is this all there is? Some people believe this life is all there is. We know differently. We know that to live is Christ, if you're a Christian, but to die is what? Gain. Amen? There's a heaven to gain. But for the folks that don't know Christ as their personal Savior, what's their future? Now we don't even like to say the word, do we? But it's hell. A burning place of punishment. It's shocking if we really stop to think about what hell is like. And more than that, it's shocking to think of, 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 of any of our loved ones or co-workers or classmates that that could possibly pass away overnight and go to hell. And not get out in a hundred years Not get out in a thousand years. But never get out. That's why the Great Commission is so important to us, isn't it? Jesus said do what? Go into all the world. Not just Georgia. Not just America. But into all the world and share the gospel. The word gospel means what? good news. Now, it's good news to those who receive it. Right? It's good news. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, every person. Somebody said that so often the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. And we have omitted to really make that an integral part of our lives. Oh, we work for a living, but is that all there is? Is that the only motivating factor we have is just to make a living? God didn't leave us here just to make a living. God left us here to make a difference. And there's a big difference. So consequently... Jesus was saying in verse 4, I must do the works of Him that sent Me. The key word there is must. God wants us to understand that just as Jesus had a ministry, He was sent from heaven to preach the gospel and then to purchase the gospel story so that each one of us could be saved without cost without price, without works, and that's good news. And so He said, I've got a job to do. But once He gave His life on the cross, once He rose again from the dead, He then said to His disciples, and thus to us, you go into all the world and share the gospel. How are we doing? How are we doing in sharing the gospel? So many times we say, well, yeah, th- that's, 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 that's an, uh, an issue of, of urgency. I'm here to say this morning, I think it's more than urgency. I think it's an emergency. Now, there's a difference, isn't there? For instance, if you're on, the, on a plane, and all of a sudden the stewardess says, uh, Folks, uh, make sure your seat belts are buckled, and um, uh, go ahead and grab the life vests underneath your seat. Have you ever been asked by a stewardess to get your life vest? Anybody here ever been asked by a stewardess? Now they always make that announcement, don't they? Do we really listen that carefully as to how to put that life vest on and, and you pull it around and you, you know, you, the, I mean, how much do we really listen to that? We hear it on every flight. But if she actually said, okay, now we're going to need to put the life vest on, what would you think? Uh, that didn't sound like a drill to me. Seriously, we're going to put these life vests on? Yes. Why? Well, we're over the ocean. Okay. And we've just lost a wing. <laughs> now, does she have your attention now? I think so. You look out and you go, Un momento, por favor. Mm. All of a sudden, you got that life vest on in a hurry. Why? Because it's an emergency. Everything changes when an emergency takes place. Uh, kind of like when they when you're in the hospital, and they have a code blue. When Ruth entered into the hospital, uh, I was sitting there beside her, and and all of a sudden. Uh, Four doctors and three nurses came rushing into the room. Now that'll get your attention. And I said, what's going on? And they said, she just went into atrial fibrillation and we just kind of want to check her out. Like, oh, okay. You know, when code blue is sent across the, 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 the floor of the hospital, the doctors don't say, you know... When I get done with all my paperwork, what do they say? I'll be right there. Paperwork can wait. Code blue means there's an emergency. Life-threatening emergency. Aren't you glad if you're the patient that the doctors do come running? They do set aside their pay? Yeah, of course. Emergency. And I think that's the way God wants us to look at the Great Commission. It's not just an urgency. It's an emergency. And as Jesus said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. In other words, He's saying there's going to come a time that I can't do this anymore. But while it's day, I must work the works of Him that sent me. So I guess the question is, what's going to change in my mindset in Ackworth, Georgia, that will help me to recognize that the Great Commission is code blue for some people? And we don't know who. Could it be the classmate that you sit next to? Could it be the coworker? that you work with day after day after day? Could it be the school mom that you get together with for breakfast after you drop the kids off from school? Could it be a member of your family? What emergency is it that God wants us to begin to focus our attention on and say, you know, it's just not, not enough for me just to know these people and like these people. The question is, do they know the gospel? Have they ever heard the sweetest story ever told? God loves you. The brightest prospect to behold. God loves you. When your way is dark as night, He will be your guiding light. By His hand, He'll hold you tight. God loves you. Do they know that story? Have they ever heard that there is a God who loves them? Not a God who's angry at them, but a God who loves them. And if they haven't ever heard the story, if they come to the end of their lives, we all know what happens. We know that they cannot get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's only one way. And so consequently, we need, I, th- I believe, to begin looking at at the gospel at at the need as an emergency not just an urgency April 15th 1912 the titanic went down we know the story hit an iceberg but yet what we don't know is that Immediately, as soon as that happened and the ocean waters began rushing into some of the chambers of the Titanic, the ship that could never sink, as it was advertised, there were only three people that knew that it was an emergency. The captain, the first officer, and the engineer who designed the boat, who was on the boat. Only three men knew that this is an emergency. The only problem was they never told anybody. Why? For them to know that it was an emergency you would have thought. They would have immediately gotten the word out. Hey folks, this is bad. In fact, the first lifeboats that that were launched from the Titanic, they were large enough to hold 60 grown men. But the first lifeboats that were launched only had 13 to 17 people per lifeboat because it wasn't seen as an emergency. Nobody thought the ship was going down. In fact, most of the people that got into these lifeboats thought that they would be out in the lifeboat for a couple of hours and then they would come back to the, to the ship and, and get back on. Most of them thought, well, it's not really that big of a deal, the band continued to play. Just as the boat was getting ready to go down, do you know what the band was playing? Near my God to thee. There was a rich man that, that took his life jacket off, put his tuxedo on, and laughed and said, I'm going to die in style. He really wasn't planning on dying. He didn't think the boat was really going to go down. Now one of the neat stories is that one of the employees on the boat saw a mother and two small children who did not have life jackets. And he took them to his personal compartment, gave them his life jackets, and then said, Please pray for me as the boat goes down. And the sad thing is the fact that the man who owned the boat, who owned the entire shipping lines, was on the first lifeboat off the boat and rowed away to safety. The man who owned the boat. But he didn't tell anybody else that it was an emergency. And when you hear those kind of stories you realize hundreds of people died. Hundreds of people drowned. But they didn't have to. The lifeboats were there. More folks could have been on them. But it was not an emergency. Now, is that kind of the way it is with the gospel in America? There's nobody here but us, so we can talk. What do you think? I think it is. I think we think, you know... It sure would be nice if people would come to church. Why? Why would they come to church? Because they don't realize the emergency of their situation. They don't realize that that without Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, at the end of this life, it's not just the grave. It's not just non-existence. It's an eternity apart from God in a place called the burning hell. In my mind, that has to become an emergency in our minds. And it's not just an emergency of life and death. It's an emergency of of eternal separation from God. Now I want you to understand that, first of all, the ministry of Christ reveals the emergence of the gospel. He said, I must work the works of Him that sent me. The ministry of Christ represents the the, sense of emergency. The word must gives us the idea that that is an emergency. I must do this. The shortness of time. The night comes when no man can work. Now, I guess the question is, is there a shortness of time in today's timescale? Could Jesus come back at any time? Talk to me. I can't hear you. Yes. We call it the imminent return of Christ. Amen? That means at any moment, even before I get done with this message, Jesus could return. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It'd be wonderful for those who know Christ. Well, what about the people who don't know Christ? they will go into a period of time called the Tribulation. Where the Antichrist becomes the main figure in the entire world society. Where deception, where, where eventually persecution take place. So the rapture is only joy for us if we know Christ. But our loved ones, there's no joy. In fact, if they have Listen to the gospel and reject it, the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter two, they will be sent a strong delusion, and they will never receive the gospel. Never receive the gospel. There's no second chance after the rapture takes place if they have rejected Christ as their Savior. Second First Thessalonians chapter two. Now, with that in mind, can we just look at our unbelieving loved ones with, oh well. Or should we not begin to realize this is a real emergency? Now you say, well, well, Pastor, I have tried to witness to them and they're not interested. So what do you do now? Do we earnestly pray? The Bible says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. See, so many times I think we have given up on the hard cases. We've given up on the folks who have rejected us and and shut us down and said, don't talk to me anymore about that. We've just kind of, you know, stepped back and said, oh well, okay. As opposed to saying, You may not want me to say a word to you about it, but I can sure say many words to God about you. Are you with me? You see, where I can't accomplish anything, God can make house calls. Amen? He can arrange circumstances to get their attention, whereas you and I can't. And it's got to become an emergency for our prayer life. I must work the works of Him that sent me. And as we look at all the events that are taking place in history, read Ezekiel chapter 38. You'll read about Russia and the Arab nations uh, invading Israel. Isn't it interesting to you that Russia has never had peace treaties with any of these Arab nations ever, ever, ever until now. And now Russia has treaties with these Arab nations who will join them in attacking Israel. What does that tell you? Are you with me? We are living in the last days. And we would totally understand that we may not have long before the rapture takes place, before we're out of here, and before our lost loved ones and our lost classmates and work, work partners and co workers and things like that are, are gone from any influence that you and I may have, it becomes an emergency. Turn to John chapter 4. Back a couple of pages. John chapter 4. Notice verse 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples right after he's witnessed to the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. And he said in verse 35 Say not, ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He has just witnessed to the Samaritan woman. She's just gone into the city and, some, and said, Come see a man that told me all things ever that I did. Is not this the Christ? And so the Bible tells us that, that people began to swarm out of the city, out to the well, to, to see this man that told her everything she'd ever done. And so Jesus is saying, Look at all these white turbans that are coming, the fields that are white already unto harvest. And the disciples look up, and and the entire city is coming out to meet Jesus. And He's saying, don't say, oh, well, the harvest is later. He said, the harvest is now. What changed? The Samaritan woman came to the well at noon because the women of the town came earlier in the day and she didn't want to be around them because of her reputation and lifestyle. So she waited for all the other women to have come and gone. She came thinking she'd meet nobody at the well. She met Jesus at the well. And Jesus knew the inner desires of her heart. He knew the unsettledness. He knew the guilt. He knew the the, the sin patterns. and. Jesus spoke to them and He said, If you knew who I was, you would ask of Me and I would give you living water. And she said, Oh, that sounds good. You see, if we just know how to talk to people, we'll recognize they're not as happy as they say they are. They're not as satisfied as they say they are. They're not as contented as they say they are. And as we bring God into the conversation, their interest begins to grow and they begin to say, can we talk about that? Would you pray with me about that? Say not there yet four months. Notice Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Notice verses 37 and 38. Again, Jesus is talking. Well, let's pick up at verse 36. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And He said, But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and were scattered wrought, as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith He unto His disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. But now He talks about the laborers to bring in the harvest. He said the laborers are what? Few. Then he says in verse 38, Pray ye that the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Circle the word ye. He's saying, you pray that God will send laborers into the gospel harvest. That's a good command for you and me, isn't it? So each day, dear God, I pray that You would send workers into Your harvest today. You know what happens when you start praying that way? Notice the next chapter. And when He had called unto Him His twelve disciples, He gave them power against unclean spirits, uh, to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now notice verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent I've circled the word send in verse 38 of the previous chapter and drawn a line to sent in verse 5 of the next chapter. He said, You pray that God will send people into the harvest. Then in verse 5 of the next chapter, He says, Jesus sent them. Now what does that tell you? God will give you and me opportunities to meet the emergency if, first of all, we're praying. Do you think that's an issue that we need to be considering this morning? Our prayer lives. Do we begin each day, Dear Lord, open my eyes to the people that I meet today. Open my ears to the conversations that I hear today open my my understanding to the situations and circumstances that I face today, that I may begin to see God working in these conversations. Working in these opportunities. And as I pray, guess what? God will say, here's an opportunity. You prayed. Here's an opportunity. It could be that we don't see opportunities because we don't pray. And so, God is talking about not only personally, but also, I think, One Hope Church ministry. Are we praying as a church that God will will open up opportunities for witness in this area? Are we praying that that this church will be more than just... uh, Something that happens on Sunday morning, but something that happens on Monday morning as we go out. Amen? Ere you left your room this morning. Did you think to pray? Amen? Did you think to pray? If there's anything that God lays on your heart this morning, I want you to begin to say, Lord, increase my prayer life. Increase my prayer. And by the way, you don't have to go to college or seminary to be a prayer. God will use anybody to pray. God also will give you the opportunity to, to invest financially in getting the gospel out. And as parents, of course, God will give us the privilege of being able to say, Lord, if you can use my children. And I'm thanking God that all three of our sons are in the ministry. But Ruth and I did not call them into the ministry. God did. But what we prayed was, Lord, help us to develop their character so that if you ever do call them into some kind of full-time Christian service, their character will respond by saying yes. Does that make sense? And what happens when God calls your children into ministry? He multiplies your ministry through them. Amen? Oh, but you say, Pastor, I don't want God to multiply their ministry in Australia <laughs> or Africa or what? I remember years ago, Ruth and I were praying about going to the mission field, praying about Australia. I called my mother. I said, Mom, I, I said, pray with us about, about this thing. We're praying about going to Australia as missionaries. And he got quiet. She said, Australia. I said, yeah. She said, how far is that from Wisconsin? I said, well, you yeah, know, it's all the way around the world. And she said, uh-huh. And so then how often would I see my grandchildren Did you notice she never asked how long it would be before she saw me? Did you notice that? How long would it be before I saw my grandchildren? I said, Well, we'd probably come home in four years. She said, Uh huh. Halfway around the world. Uh huh. I said, Aren't you excited, mother? She laughed and she said, Greg, you're so bad to me. (laughs) Yes, I'm excited. But you see, sometimes we hesitate when it comes to our children. See, when we dedicate babies to the Lord, basically what we're saying is, God, I give You title deed back to You of these babies. Title deed. They belong to You. However You can use Me, and my wife or my husband, to train them to have a heart tender toward the things of God. Lord, please do that. But whatever you want them to be, wherever you want them to go, we're okay. And letting them know that. Amen? That's a very important thing for parents to be doing. You remember when Jesus was just a boy of 12 and it went into the 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 city and went to the temple. And then his parents were going back home and all of a sudden they realized, oh, where's Jesus? Went back into Jerusalem and found Him in the temple and, and He said, didn't you understand that I must be about what? My Father's business. How old was Jesus at the time? Twelve. You see, so many times we don't recognize the importance of ministry that young people can have. He was twelve. And by the way, your children can have a tremendous ministry as well. If you encourage them. If you help them. If you guide them. Didn't you know that I need to be about my Father's business? Even, even the idea of Jesus going to the cross was an emergency. He said in Mark chapter 8 verse 31, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after these three days rise again. Jesus basically said, This is why I came. He wasn't shunning it. But He said, This is the only way for salvation to be purchased. Now, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Notice verse 35. Jesus had been so successful preaching in His ministry and healing and and, and doing all of the work. But notice verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. In the morning, rising but great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. Just stop right there. Now Jesus was the Son of God. But he still prayed. He still had that fellowship with the Father early in the morning. He's setting a pattern for us, isn't he? Notice the next verse. And Simon and they that were with him followed after Jesus. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Lord, you're popular! Everybody wants to hear you! Come on back into the city!" Notice Jesus' response. He said, "...let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth, and he preached in their synagogues, and throughout all Galilee cast out devils." You see, Jesus said, I preach the gospel here. But there are other cities that haven't heard it yet. I must go preach there. That's why this ministry is getting started right here. That's the purpose for a new church plant. Amen? To be able to be reaching new people in new locations where the need is great. Kennesaw State University. What a mission field. Amen? Your college. What a mission field. Your workplace. Your neighborhood. What a mission field. You with me? And when we begin to understand, Jesus said, Oh, but these folks haven't heard, so I'm going to leave where I'm successful and I'm going to go over here where the gospel still needs to be preached. That is why one hope is in existence. That's why we're here. That's why God has called us to start a ministry. And so consequently, Jesus said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's the now of world evangelism. It's the now of salvation. The the idea is that, that time is fleeting very, very quickly. Somebody said it this way a few weeks ago. We may not all be preachers, but we should all be reachers. I wrote that down. Amen? We may not all be preachers, but we should all be reachers. Reaching our neighborhood. Reaching our ministry place. Reaching our workplace. Reaching our school. Reachers. You remember in John chapter four? When Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Needs. Must needs. Because he knew there was a woman there that everybody shunned. Nobody had anything to do with except the immoral men of the town. But he said, She's crying out. She is desperate in need of a change. You see, I believe God wants us to begin each day just asking God to make us conscious of people around us that may need a voice from God. They may need need a Word from God in the conversation. And praying together with other believers. That's why our, our, our sessions on Wednesday night for the men and for the ladies are so important that prayer time of praying for those that don't know Christ yet. Praying together. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, what? I'm in the midst. Amen? How vitally important it is to be praying together. Beginning to say, when I go to a restaurant, I'm going to put my book aside. I'm just going to kind of look around and see if there's anyone around me that possibly I can connect with. Other opportunities to, to connect. Maybe volunteering here at the school. Or, or uh, as a coach at a ballpark. Or, or, or uh, YMCA mentoring program or something like that. In other words, going beyond my comfort zone. And saying, Lord, You didn't leave me just here to make a living. You left me here to make a difference. I want to give you six conversation starters. Would you write these down? So many times you say, how do I get into a conversation about God? Let me write down six questions. Very simple questions that open up conversations about God. Number one, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Just whoever you're talking to, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And it doesn't make a difference what their answers are. You just say, hmm, okay. You make no comments about Him. Give your spiritual beliefs and then just listen. Second question is this. What is your understanding of who Jesus is? What is your understanding of who Jesus Christ is? Question. Very simple. And does make, again, doesn't make a difference who they say that they think He is. Oh, good man, a teacher, whatever. Doesn't make a difference what they say. What is your understanding about who Jesus Christ is? Third question: Do you think there's a heaven or hell? Do you think there's a heaven or hell? Again, you make no comment about what their answer is. The may a difference what they say. Do you think there's such thing as a heaven or hell? Yes, no. OK. <laughs> Number four: If you're to fall over right now and die, where would you go? If you were to fall over right now and die, where do you think you'd go? If you were to fall over right now and die, where do you think you'd go? Again, you make no comment about what they say. Well, I think I'd go to heaven. <laughs> and then number, question number five is why would God let you into his heaven? Because many people will say, well, I think I'd go to heaven. Oh, okay, fine. Why do you think God would let you into your heaven? Well, I've been a good person. Well, I was baptized. Well, well, I grew up in a Christian nation. Well, I, well, I, well, I, doesn't mean it's what they say. Question number six. If what you're believing is not true according to the Bible, would you want to know? If what you're believing is not true according to the Bible, would you want to know? See, if they say, well, no, not really. Have a good day. But if they say, well yeah, if what I'm believing is not true according to the Bible, yeah, I want to know. Then you've opened up the opportunity to share the Gospel. Six simple questions. Six simple questions. Why are they important? Because there's the reality of a burning hell. A reality of a burning hell. And don't kid yourself. All the folks that say they're going to party in hell and, and they're just going to uh, have all their music together and all their friends are going to be in hell. Don't kid yourself. They don't have a clue what hell is really like. There will be no music. There will just be screaming. There'll be a constant sense of falling. Constantly falling. Constantly falling. The darkness will be so dark that you can feel it. You remember what Luke 16, the rich man said, Have Lazarus tip his finger in water and put it on my tongue because I am tormented what in this flame. The burning hell truly is burning fire. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whoever believed in Him should not perish. What does that mean? Perish where? Perish in what condition? Perish for how long? See, The gospel is more than come and see. The gospel is go and tell. And so that is the Great Commission. The emergency is to get out of our seats and into the streets. Wherever we go this week, asking God, open my ears, open my eyes, open my understanding. Is my classmate a believer? You say, Well, I don't know. Why don't you know? Is your coworker a believer? Oh, well, I don't know. Why don't you know? You see, <laughs> sad to say at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give an answer. Amen. We're going to give an answer. Of the opportunities that we had to share Christ, would you bow your heads together in prayer?